0: It's the start of Advent, so today, Bishop Caggiano gives us some reflections on on Advent and how to get started properly. Then also, we have continually piling up a big list of listener questions, so we're going to spend a lot of the show today going through those listener questions and hearing what uh, Bishop has to say in response to what you wrote in. So keep us here on your radio at 1350 AM or at 103.9 FM, or keep us on your phone with the Veritas mobile app. You can get the app at the Apple app store, the Google play store or veritascatholic.com. And if you enjoy, let me be Frank on podcast can help us out by going to your favorite podcast platform and giving us a five-star rating. Let me be Frank. As always, as you know, is brought to you by a grant from Foundations in Faith. Foundations in Faith embraces innovative approaches to funding pastoral care programs in the Diocese of Bridgeport. Resources focus on energizing lifelong faith formation and discipleship and fostering a commitment to justice and accompaniment with our most vulnerable. From seminarians to retired priests, from baptism to last rites, from suburbs to inner cities, the reach is broad, the impact is meaningful. For more information, Visit them on the web at foundationsinfaith.org. Okay, here we go. This is Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network. I'm Steve Lee, and it is my pleasure as always to introduce Bishop Frank Caggiano. Uh,
1: Good morning, Steve, my friend. Hey, Excellency. In Advent. Jeez. (laughs) Already. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So, how have you been, by the way? How have you been? Uh, I've been
0: good. We're in the middle of our pledge drive. Actually, That's this why, week. I That's yes.
1: why I asked. That's why I asked.
0: Yes, yes. So uh, it's off to a good start. Um, we need to keep the momentum going uh, because we only do this twice a year, and uh, the two weeks a year are meant to fund the fifty other years of the. I mean, fifty other weeks of the year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so we need folks to call in. Uh, the number is four four zero. Veritas, or you can go online to veritascatholic.com and uh,
1: partner with us. What's the fundraising goal, if I may ask? Is there a goal? Yes, yeah, yeah, we're looking to raise $100,000 this week. Okay, great, great. So my friends, we're going to ask you to be generous. Sacrificial giving, which you give to the Lord, he gives back a hundredfold. So think of the investment return. Never mind Wall Street. This is it. <laughs> this is where you yes. get your dividends to eternal life. Yeah. Yes. No, great. Right. And I just, you know, I take it for granted, but, um, and I don't say it enough, uh, thanks for you and, and the board and the great work that Veritas does in more than Fairfield County because the, it extends way beyond our, our diocese, right? Yes, reach. that's yeah. true. Yeah. But it's tremendous. And I can't tell you how many people stopped me to talk about the different, and now you've developed a whole coterie of a lineup of local programming, right? Yes, that's yep. right. Yep. So, no, it's tremendous. So I'm very grateful for that.
0: And this show, excellency, your show. We were looking at the at the podcast uh, stats um, just last week. Uh, you're international, is that
1: right? Yes, that shows you yep. the state of the world. Now let's think about that for a second. <laughs> that's the state <laughs> of the world. How scary is that? <laughs> oh my but, god! Well, I enjoy our conversation.
0: Me too. Yeah, and and a lot of folks do, and I think particularly here in in Advent, you know, um because like in in Lent, we are called to
1: uh, prayer, fasting, and alms giving
0: in yeah. Advent to an right. extent too, right? right? So, right.
1: you know, you speak about Advent. I my uh, my first Sunday of Advent homily um, was directed more for me than anybody who is listening to me because. I told the story of growing up as a young boy and and I was kind of absent-minded as a young boy. Absent-minded in the sense of I would be, just be absorbed, like fascinated with stuff and not always pay attention. And I think it's not just me. Oh, most kids do that. And I had this incident in Easter where I just had a brand new suit and I fell off the curb because I wasn't paying attention and ripped a hole in my pants and that was not a pretty sight after we came home from church on Easter. Because if you don't, watch where you're going. You could get hurt. Actually, in the modern world, people on their phones, how many people walk into traffic not paying attention to where they're going? (laughs) So be watchful of where you're going because you take your life into your hands. That summarizes Advent. Hmm. Because Advent reminds us that the little babe in Bethlehem whose Savior and Redeemer is coming again to inaugurate completely his kingdom. He comes as king and judge the second coming of Christ. And our journey in this life is the preamble to eternal life. This life is beautiful. This life is precious. But this life is only the beginning when it is redeemed of an eternal life. Therefore, how how we walk in this life makes all the difference of where we do go in the life to come. Yeah. So Advent reminds us of all the items we have at our disposal, Right. So think of a highway, driving the highway, okay? So you, you, the guardrails keep you on the highway, and that's the laws of the church, the commandments, the scriptures, all the things we're taught to make sure that we're going in the right direction, not veering off, not crashing. And then the velocity is... Avoiding sin, asking that the Lord in our contrition forgive our sins so we can move faster and faster and have the grace of private prayer and the sacraments, most especially the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus in the Eucharist to get us to our final destination because we're citizens of a kingdom. Hmm. Which for Americans, we don't use that language, right? Because we're we're a republic. But the truth is, he's our king. It's not our president, we don't elect him. He is our king. Yes. So in a sense, you know, as a a 30-second reflection here about the start of Advent, I guess the questions we could ask ourselves, all of us, myself, is like, what direction am I going? Like, where am I going? Do I see always heaven as the backdrop against everything I do in my life? How fast am I going in that direction? Am I slowed Mm. down? A lot of baggage, a lot of distraction. Or have I crashed the car? And if I've crashed the car, it's not the end of the world. Right? Because Christ will rebuild it for us and give us the grace to move forward. You got to recognize you've crashed it. <laughs> right. Yes. Right. Yes. So I like that image. Yeah. For Advent. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's great. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. okay. So now today what do we do? We're doing questions, questions and answers. We ha-
0: yes. We have um we have a- so many listener questions that uh we should we should Take a dent, make a dent in the, in, yeah. the, in the pile of questions that we have.
1: Yeah, you you sent me 113. <laughs> it's quite a mailbag. <laughs> yeah. It rivals Santa, I think. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait a minute. Tomorrow, we're taping, of course, on a Tuesday. Tomorrow, St. Nicholas, right? Aha. Uh-huh. Feast Day of Santa Claus. Santa Claus. So, we have to make sure we're good to St. Nick.
0: Yes. Uh-huh. Yep. <laughs> Okay. All right. So let's get into it then, Excellency. Mm-hmm. Okay. Here's the uh, the first question. It says, uh, I've heard about a votive mass for the Holy Spirit. That there are many blessings for a community. Can you please explain this mass and how to go about
1: requesting it for a parish? Well, um, there are many votive masses in the in the Roman Missal, right? It, you have Voter Masses for peace, and you have Voter Masses for Our Lady, and of course the Holy Spirit, and the saints. And So a vote of Mass is, is the celebration of Mass, which is no different than it, with a particular focus, right? So that we would ask the intercessions or the protection or seek inspiration from the example of a saint, Our Lady. In this case, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So of course there are many blessings in the celebration of mass in general, but particularly with some of these votive masses, we turn in a particular way to ask for the intercession and blessings. Now, how do you ask for it? You would just simply approach your pastor and indicate: Would there be any openness on his part to offer this? I mean, the charismatic renewal does this all the time. The votive mass for the Holy Spirit, I think, they they celebrate it very frequently, but there would be no reason why it could not be done. It just really have to ask. Mm-hmm. Mm, okay. The lion share of voter masses I've celebrated are to Our Lady. Right? In honor of Our Lady for obvious reasons. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay. Let's see. Uh, here's number two. This one's kind of fun. Yep. Uh, excluding the fan favorites like the sea-parting Moses mm. or the slingshot-wielding David, mm-hmm. if given a choice, which of the minor prophets, such as Well, I don't think they mean probably, but which of the uh, uh, biblical figures, Uh such as Samson, Noah, Jonah, or even Ruth, Esther, would you choose to be? And which one would you least like to be?
1: Uh, Who is to say least? I would never answer a question like that. (laughs) (laughs) All right? Because I do want to get to – I don't want to crash the car. All right? So I'm not going there. (laughs) But – Okay, I'm going to give you time to think. You have to answer this question too, my friend. Okay. All right, so you have time. The person who, on this list of all those figures in the altar, the one who fascinates me the most is Esther. Yeah. Precisely because a Jew found her way in the court, was favored. Remember, she took the place of Queen Vasti. Mm -hmm. So she was totally protected And when the edict went out for the extermination of the Jews because of the evil steward, she stepped up and defended her people at the risk of losing her privilege, her dignity, her wealth, her status, and her life. Yes. And I thought to myself, that level of courage and integrity, I pray I would have in my life. Yeah? Tremendous story. It's a tremendous lesson an example. And of course, in the end, it prevailed, right? Right. Yes. Yep. So I believe yeah. Hammond is the, uh, the steward or whatever he was, the Royal official, I forget exactly, but yeah. So yeah. I think Esther resonates very deeply with me now who yeah. resonates with you, my friend.
0: Yeah. Well, I love Esther too. And her uncle is the one who said, perhaps you were brought here for such a time as this. Absolutely. And yeah, I love Absolutely. that story. Absolutely. Oh gosh. I don't, Know who I would pick to be my favorite? I mean, Elijah was pretty cool. I like the story where he killed like four hundred pagan. Oh, the priests.
1: prophets of Baal when he yes, called yeah. down right, right with the yes. sacrifice on Mount Carmel, yeah. <laughs> and of he was course. making fun of them, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And of course, it's and they, and of course, the prophets of Baal. Of those who are listening, remember, it's 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 the emblematic story of the life of Elijah where he puts side by side the false prophets and the and their false gods, and he himself as the prophet of the one true God. And the, the, the sacrifices that were supposed to be given, so the false prophets amounted to nothing, 400 of them, cutting themselves blood all over, nothing. And Elijah has buckets of water poured on his, and the fire mm-hmm. comes down and consumes the water, the sacrifice, the rocks, the whole thing and that now and he slays all the false prophets now for our modern way of looking at things it is a harsh uh violent reaction but in the time right in the time that was the code of conduct that was done so we wouldn't do that now but he did it because that was the penalty right
0: and mm-hmm. and he he teased them too beforehand. Oh, where are your gods? Maybe they're in the they're bathroom. They're sleeping or they're having a nap or whatever they're doing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. You know, I, I did think, Excellency, I think it would if if there's a least not, not least favorite, but one that I would really it would have been hard to to take place the place of I think it was his name was Hosea. And God had him marry a harlot named oh. Gomer. Because that she was like the real-life physical personification of the infidelity of the Israelites. Mm-hmm. Boy, that's a hard calling for Hosea. and me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I
1: know. Yeah. We have it easy nowadays What God asks of us. <laughs> yes. <Really? laughs> yeah, that's for sure. <laughs>
0: oh, gosh. Okay, let's see. Uh, number three. Jimmy Stewart in It's a Wonderful Life states that every time a bell rings, an angel gets their wings— is there a history that you know of on how this belief came about, angels
1: having wings? Or do they actually really have wings? Well, I think I, I don't know the history of it, but it is it, the history will be found in the history of art. Because angels are purely spiritual beings. So by definition, they would have no physical attributes or characteristics. And therefore, most of the time, angels are depicted in human form with wings, to distinguish humans that don't have wings, right? That we're corporeal as well as spiritual. So the history is in art. Now, whether or not the angels have wings, the answer to that is, in fact, if they're totally spiritual, the answer would be no. That is, wings that we could see, no, they wouldn't. But for our terrestrial minds, we would not be able to, d- to understand that unless it was depicted in a way to demonstrate their spiritual nature. And that's where mm. the wings come from. Yeah. Right. And the idea of a bell ringing, the angel getting his wings, I have I have no idea, to be <laughs> very honest. And I tried to look it up, but I just, I was not <laughs> successful as to the it's, origin of that. It's a great movie, nonetheless. Yeah. yeah so it's an excellent movie, <laughs> yeah. of course. And yeah. this is the time of year to watch it.
0: <laughs> yes. Yep. Yeah. My, Yeah. My kids roll their eyes every time I turn it on, but I think they secretly love it. So. Well, uh, Yeah. Well, you could speak for your
1: children. I won't. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, gosh. Okay. The, the next question actually gets uh, a little um, mm-hmm. deep. Yep. So here it is, Excellency. It's, uh, what is the church's position on Muhammad, Confucius,
1: and Buddha? Okay. Now, first of all, all three – prophets or sage or seers or, or, or wise men, right? So there's no divinity. There's no claim of divinity for Muhammad, Confucius, and Buddha, right? Um, so what does the church teach? Maybe John Henry Newman can help us to understand that as a kind of corollary to our last podcast. John Henry Newman speaks about natural revelation and divine revelation, and what he means by that is that there are signs of God's presence in the world through natural through the natural order, and there are elements of the truth revealed in different ways. The fullness of truth and the fullness of divine revelation is in Jesus Christ. So Jesus brought the fullness of the truth because he is God made man. So we're talking about something totally different in Christian revelation. So what the church says, building on that insight and others, is that in other religious traditions, there are elements of the truth. There are pieces of the truth, if I could use that word, which I don't particularly like, but there are elements of the truth, right? That... Are discerned not only because of the f- figures involved, but also because even through the through natural revelation, like if you look at creation, there's a truth being conveyed about the beauty and grandeur of God, who is the creator of it, that un- you understand fully in the incarnation, because all that was created was created in part to receive the gift of God within creation in his second person, the Blessed Trinity. So, what's the church's position? is that those religious traditions have certain elements of truth, but the fullness of the truth is in divine revelation, which comes fully and completely in Jesus Christ. That is why we are Christian, right? Salvation comes from Christ, not from Buddha, not from Mohammed, not from Confucius, only through Jesus Christ.
0: Mm -hmm. Amen. Mm -hmm. Okay, Uh, let's see. Um, uh, How about this question, Excellency? very complicated Uh, question now
1: you can ask, I think.
0: Have you ever been part of or performed
1: an exorcism? Very complicated question. Okay. Complicated because, first and foremost, when we did our podcast about a year ago on this question, it allows me to reiterate something I said then. And that is that um, the father of evil, because his major sin is pride, loves attention. He loves to draw attention to his presence and activity. He loves to instill fear and trepidation in the hearts of believers. That is his modus operandi. And therefore, to talk about this subject, we have to talk about it very carefully because you don't want it to be done in such a way that it's scintillating or invites more curiosity because with the best of intentions, it may create actually um, deleterious or worse effects. Mm -hmm. That's number one. So even if I were involved in an exorcism, I would not speak of it for that very reason. But the one thing I do wanna say is this, there is a tremendous difference between oppression and possession. Hmm. When you talk about the work of evil, there are very few people who truly are possessed that have literally have within them, right? The presence of the evil one or his demons where the person is literally loses control. But now it happens because the person in whatever moment allows that to happen. You have to invite, you have to invite in that evil. It doesn't, it can't force its way in, right? So it's not common, but it does happen. Oppression, on the other hand, is much more common where the where evil itself the demon or demons the father of evil whatever is literally if you imagine like two hands kind of pressing on you right G- breaking your 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 peace of mind raising all these specters of temptation kind of putting a person in a place of disquietude or right that does happen more often than people realize right in some sense, every occasion of temptation is an entree, right, to either reject the evil or accept the evil. And to the extent that one accepts evil in their life by sinning, then you're creating a path where there could be more and more inviting invitation to temptation, if I could put it that way. Now oppression is more, much more than that. It's like this this active this presence to try to move someone. Right? To despair basically and the, the 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 prayers of liberation of the church, the Ministry of liberation of the church addresses far more oppression than possession when people come
0: mm-hmm.
1: so that's so that's the answer to that question but if I were involved in anything I would not speak of it
0: Okay <clears throat> let's see uh, here's uh, okay. If you could have been a face in the crowd 2,000 years ago, which is the miracle you would have liked to have witnessed?
1: Okay, I'm coming to you for your answer in a second. I'll give you mine, unless you have the same answer. Of all the (laughs) miracles of Jesus, the one that I found that I, when I pray and reflect over it, is most poignant is the raising of Lazarus Hmm. for a number of reasons. First... It's Jesus' own reaction, where he wept at the dying of his friend. So there is a, um, a real empathy in the suffering and death of his friend, which we have all experienced in our lives. The second is he is coming close to his own death. He's not far from Jerusalem. And therefore, at this point, if you are following the Lord, you're going to sense that the, the tide is turning, is changing. And instead of, what's it's so beautiful, is it's the Lord himself is, is walking towards his death that he freely accepts, but stops to console his friends who have experienced death, right? And to raise his, and of course, the, the saying, untie him, and let him go free.
0: Hmm.
1: It's interesting. He doesn't say, right? It, it, it is a symbol, it, it's a summary of life. How, how many of us are dying inside of ourselves to a sin, a habit, some sort of slavery we trouble? And Jesus is whispering, untie him or her, let, them, let him go free. It's just so beautiful. Yeah. So, of all the miracles, it was probably the one that had the least like fame. In so much of there weren't thousands of people present like the multiplication of loaves, but for me personally, it was was the most poignant, the most beautiful. Yeah,
0: yeah. You're making me think of uh, the. I, first of all, I thought you were going to say the feeding of the five thousand, so that you could.
1: Eat some of the food that tears. Never mind. Never mind. We can't be selfish here. Although it did cross my mind. <laughs> this is a runner-up. <laughs> but,
0: but you and your description of um, of Jesus at Lazarus' tomb reminds me of, um, I kind of wish I could have been in the room when Jesus said, uh, Talitha kum, and raised the little oh, girl yeah. from the dead. Yeah, yeah of course. It's similar. I just picture that moment, Jesus looking at this sweet little girl who's passed away, and our parents are probably in the next room, overcome with grief. And Jesus, his heart breaking, just quietly and tenderly mm-hmm. you know, wakes her up and gives her life.
1: Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. he feels the pain of, his, of the parents. This is yes. a God who cries with his people. Yes, Because miracles, remember, are not signs of divine power alone. They're signs of the kingdom. So every parent who has had the horrible, indescribable suffering of having to bury a child is on their way to a kingdom where that child and they will be reunited in everlasting life. That's the sign of the kingdom. Yes. Yeah. I mean, go back to religious traditions. I could not imagine being anything but Christian. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, okay. Let's do one more before we go to the break, Excellency. Yep. All right. Here's one it says uh, uh, a common expression that's widely used today is, oh, my God, or OMG. I realize it depends on the context in which it's being used, but assuming normal everyday conversation, is this considered breaking the first commandment? What about, I swear to God? Okay.
1: So it's a great question, actually.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: My guess is that the vast majority of people who do say that don't even allude to what they're saying. So there isn't a conscious appropriation as well. It's almost a habit. right? Right. It's like people say, uh, 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 when they speak, don't (laughs) even realize they say, uh. Now, it doesn't excuse the use. The truth is, the Lord's name should only be used in worship and praise or in teaching and formation. It should not be used this haphazardly. Even if the intent is not to do him dishonor, it should not be used that way. So that's a habit that should be broken, right? Yeah. Um, But when you say, I swear to God, yeah, we do swear. We, We swear before God, Mm-hmm. you're not swearing well how can i put this um god sees all things god hears all things god hears every word we say so the fact that we are going to quote unquote swear an oath to god and that keeps us truthful we should be truthful all the time because god hears it all yeah so you do put in the old days we used to put a hand on the bible to swear the truth so in a context like that it would be appropriate but in conversation, if you're saying, "I'm," you, you, people will say, um, "I swear to God, trust me." Or, I, "No, no, no, no." That's inappropriate because as Christians, yes. you should always be telling the truth. <laughs> yes, right? Yeah.
0: yeah, makes sense. Okay, let's take a quick break, and uh, and then we'll be back on the other side with more listener questions. This is Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network. We'll be right back.
2: The number is two zero three seven four two fourteen fifty, and select option 5 or visit www.ctcemeteries.org.
0: Okay, welcome back to Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network. All right, Excellency, still have a bunch of questions to go through, and, and here's a good one. We'll start with this. Uh, can a priest or nun play the lottery? Assuming the answer is yes... Uh, if he or she is the sole winner of the $2 billion jackpot, can they keep the money? If the answer is no, then who gets it?
1: Yeah. Well, first of all, let's broaden the question. Can a bishop play the lottery? Yes. <laughs> yes, he can. <laughs> all right. So this is the the question of uh, the Evangelical Council of Poverty. So a priest is not bound to the evangelical promise of poverty that a religious is therefore if a priest were to win the lottery he actually would inherit the money himself Um, so it's not a bad deal (laughs) (laughs) for the religious the sisters brothers and, and priests in religious congregations the answer is no they would that money would go to the congregation i presume I presume, or it would go to a charity, but I presume to go to the congregation because a religious would not inherit, could not inherit that money as an individual because that's part of the poverty of the congregation. Right. Right. Yeah. So, right. That would be quite, that would be quite the headline if a religious <laughs> sister won $2 billion, what would, right?
0: That would be, Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. um, I guess so the next question is is kind of related. Mm-hmm. Uh, Excellency. It says, do priests
1: make out wills? Uh, not only do they make out wills, they're required to make a will upon ordination. Because again, because priests are not married, so therefore there are no spouses and children and grandchildren directly, there are relatives involved. We're not exactly sure from a daosan point of view which of the relatives would be the executor of whatever is left behind if a priest dies. Yeah. A priest is required to draw out a will, have a health care proxy, and a power of attorney upon their ordination or soon after they're ordained. Now, you may say, well, what could a priest have? Well, going back to what you said, there are priests who have come, who have inherited significant money from their families, their parents and others. And therefore, you need that. Now, that is different from being the executor of a will. So I'm not the executor of my will, obviously, because I'll be dead. Mm -hmm. So the question is, can a, a, a priest be an executor of someone else's will? And the truth is, generally speaking, the answer is no. He can be the executor of a will for a very close relative, sister, brother. But like, for example, for a parishioner, the answer is no. Why? Because it immediately sets up the narrative that this is being done for either personal gain or gain for the parish. Hmm. So you can have a will, but you can't be an executor of someone else's will unless you are, it is a close relative. Mm-hmm. Okay.
0: Gosh, I... Wouldn't never even thought of that. So mm-hmm. interesting.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, how about this question, Excellency? Mm-hmm. It says, uh, were there any other kids from your old Brooklyn
1: neighborhood who became priests or popes? Uh, well, popes, absolutely not. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but priests, yeah. I mean, in, in, in the day when I was in the seminary, there were two others in my parish, One a bit older, and then John, Father John Maduri, who's my classmate, um, who were vocations from St. Simon and Jude Parish. Ah. Father Ron D'Antonio, Father John Maduri, and Father Frank Caggiano, the three of us. And John and I were ordained together. So yeah, we were. And then, of course, in high school, Father Vincent DeCola was my classmate at Regis, who became a Jesuit. So there have been people along the way. And as I've said many times, it's the sign of the health of a parish when it generates vocations to priesthood, diaconate, and religious life. So in its day, Simon a Jew was hopping.
0: Right? That's cool. Yeah. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. I can't think of anybody from my childhood who grew up and became a priest, really? actually. It's kind of sad. Yeah. Uh, There's a girl that I went to high school with who um, joined the Dominican Sisters in Nashville. Well, that's, so that's, that's pretty cool. somebody,
1: of course. Yeah. 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 Yep. Wow. Well, you're younger than I am, so you're you, you. I was at the tail end of what some people call the golden age of yeah. Catholicism in the United States. It's coming back. Of course it is. Without a <laughs> <Yes. I> doubt. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, all right. How
0: about this one, Excellency? It says, Bishop Frank, how would you sum up your ministry in one word? Steve, how would you sum up this show in one word? Oh,
1: you go first. <laughs> you go really? first. Really?
0: Yes. <laughs> oh gosh. Okay. Uh, that's a really good question. I would. Uh, I think I would say friendship. So not just because of the friendship that you and I have developed, which I'm so grateful for, but because of the friendship um, developing with all of our listeners and. Mm-hmm. Like so, I've met so many people who say they listen to this show and they feel like they've really gotten to know you, Excellency. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, actually, one one listener told me this was um, maybe a year or two ago. He said, he said, you know, Steve, the bishop, your bishop is supposed to be your spiritual father, and this is the first time that I actually feel like that about my bishop. Wow. So. So it's been it's been great for people to get to know you and to hear from you excellency. So
1: that's that's how I, that's the one word that's I That's why use. I'm grateful for our friendship. Without you this would not be happening. You I mean so no I deeply appreciate that. Plus it's two my public therapy. What the heck? <laughs> it's <right>. free. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> <laughs> but And your ministry? Ugh. I I thought long and hard on this and it's my ministry as a bishop now, let's I have to contextualize it. Yes. Not as a priest, but as a bishop. Right. The word that sums up my ministry is humility. And the reason I say that is not because I am a, 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 a humble man, I could be a heck of a lot more humble, but I strive to be humble because it breaks a lot of the categories and misconceptions people have of what leadership in the church is meant to be. By personality, I, I am who I am. I don't stand on pretense. I kind of tell it like it is. Uh, I don't like fanfare. As I've said many times, I'm an introvert by personality. I just, uh, which is hard to believe in my ministry, but (laughs) so when I, when just the comment you just made or when i meet people who come up and and and, and speak to me without any fear or hesitation then i f- then i believe i'm doing what i'm supposed to be doing which is being the spiritual father of a very large spiritual family and you can't do that if you create a distance or you stand on that pretense or you you give the sense that you're better than somebody else because i have no idea where that comes from right So it doesn't maybe sum up my ministry, but it sums up the intent of what I'd like my ministry to be. Yeah. right. Which is an exercise in humility. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Mm -hmm.
0: Okay. All right, next question. Let's see, Um, okay. If one of the goals of Jesus' mission was to be the way, the truth, and the life, then after the resurrection, why would he appear just to the apostles and a few others? wouldn't it have been more effective to show himself to the Jews and
1: the Romans? Well, it's it's an interesting question. It has two parts to it. The first is, when Jesus appeared after his resurrection, um, there were people who did not believe. The The truth is, once again, the Lord's appearances between his resurrection and ascension, and before the coming of the Holy Spirit, were designed in part to prepare those who were going to then continue his work in the world. He came to encourage them and support them. But he did not come back to eradicate faith, which is the second point. He didn't come back to prove that he was alive. He came back to invite people to believe in him who was alive. It's a big difference. Mm. And it puts everyone on the same playing field in so much as the apostles had the privilege of knowing him in his resurrection, his bodily resurrection, but they still believed in him after his ascension. We believe in him because we don't have the privilege right in our life of knowing the Lord in that bodily resurrection. So the key is to strengthen, so it's two parts, to strengthen those who would continue his work, he does that for us as well, and to foster faith, as a response, not proof as a response. So that is why he didn't go to Jews and the Romans. It wasn't their demonstration of proof, it was a demonstration invitation to faith, which we do, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Great. Uh, Let's see. Oh, this is gonna get me into trouble.
1: Yeah, it's gonna get me into trouble. All right, go. I like this one, (laughs) all
0: right. (laughs) Do you prefer, do, do you prefer, do you prefer More modern-appearing churches with wooden beams, circular form, modern-type artwork, or more traditional gothic stone stained-glass windows?
1: Well, my personal preference is a church should be reflective of transcendence. That the church should be a place where it allows me to drop my guard and to enter into a mystery greater than me. Okay. So given my temperament and personality, the more beautiful it is in the traditional sense. So with stained glass, you could lose yourself looking at the stained glass for an hour. Right? Um, or a place that has both the mixture of light and darkness. A place which echoes and also has silence. A place which, which has texture right, and smell to it, different from the outside world where color is used in such a way that my heart is engaged as well as my mind, for me is a beautiful place and space to pray. And that is my preference. Another reason I have that preference is because most of my ministry is talking, Mm -hmm. intellectual, it's teaching, it's formation. So for me personally, to be fed, to have my heart fed, my religious imagination fed, is a tremendous need of mine. Right? so that, And again, the other piece to this puzzle, if I may, is churches can have two functions. They should basically have both functions. That is, it has a vertical and horizontal dimension. The church is meant to bring the horizontal dimension of the church, which are the people of God alive in a community together in prayer. But there's a vertical dimension because we're praying to God. We're not praying to each other. We're praying to God. So the perfect architecture does both. And a great of the gothic cathedrals and the cathedrals of of the Middle Ages actually did both, right? Because cruciform, so people are looking at each other, but at the same time, there's transcendence to it. So that would be my preference. Great.
0: Okay, let's see. Uh, Hello, Bishop Frank and Steve. I love your chats. I learn a lot. As cradle Catholics, there are many things we do that we don't really think about. When we pray communally, there will often be a call and response style to it. One person will start the prayer, and halfway in, the rest will join. This strikes me as a little odd, and I do not know why we do this. Can you explain mm-hmm. this?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, that's a great question, actually. And it's the recognition that prayer can be lived in, in two ways, right? There's personal prayer, and there's communal prayer. And each prayer has its own form, Communal prayer is the invitation to pray together in worship of God. So the antiphonal structure, so that I pray and you pray, like we're actually sharing the the practice of prayer is precisely communal in nature. And I like it in part because we could be a thousand people in church praying the same prayers and have no awareness or little awareness that we're praying together. Versus antiphonally, we're actually waiting for the other and therefore we're engaged in a this this worship that is is bigger than me. So that's why we do it, antiphonally, right? Now, now I'm gonna raise a question here, if I may, all right? And that is, I recently had a, a meeting with Father Peter Towsley and the missionaries of the family, to the families. And there was an insight that was shared there, which has really captured my imagination when we speak of communal prayer. There is a type of prayer that's actually both. Can you guess what that is? Steve? The mass? No. Well, in some way, yes. But yes. But not what I was thinking. And that is... They, one of the hallmarks of their ministry is to teach couples, husbands and wives, how to pray together to God. Mm. So in a sense, we say marriage to become one. So it's one person, quote unquote, but they're actually praying together and it's communal. So I wonder, for those who are listening, who are married, how many of you actually find the time every day, every few days, every week, to sit with your spouse and pray together? So that's it. so that's almost like a blending of the two. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's a great question because I think it's yeah. something we take for granted. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. Okay. Uh, let's see. Um, here's one. It says, we had an incident where a communion host fell and the priest picked it up and put it in his mouth, which seems simple enough. This made me wonder what would happen if the precious blood was accidentally knocked over and
1: spilled. It ha- Well, first of all, in both cases, it's the body, blood, soul, and divinity. And therefore, we accord it the respect that it deserves because it's the presence of Christ. Um, so if there's spillage, it's that's serious. It, That's serious and it has to be cleaned and it has to be cleaned thoroughly because God forbid you don't want anybody walking on the, the body, blood, soul and divinity of Jesus. I mean, it's as simple as that. But the other thing, too, is you don't want to draw too much attention to it either. It does, it, like in the celebration of Mass, there is an immediate cleaning and then there could be a, a, a more thorough cleaning. It does not necessarily have to occur at the same time. The initial cleaning to make sure the precious blood is, is been taken care of and removed, and that, yes. And then if there's further cleaning, it could be done after after the conclusion of Mass. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. I, this is probably a quick one. Yep. Uh, can a priest, nun, or bishop run for political office?
1: Uh, the answer is no, <laughs> no, because obviously okay. you can't serve two masters, right? Right, You can't serve two masters, right? And okay. quite frankly, if I may be so bold, this is controversial too, but the that, if a priest <laughs> or a sister or a bishop were running, authentically Catholic, which you presume, they would either be defeated by a landslide or win by an avalanche, depending mm. on what people really honestly searching in their lives. But to give allegiance to any political party, you cannot live a fully authentic Catholic stance, because none of them have it.
0: Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, what makes a diocese? Is it the number of parishioners, geography, or something else?
1: Well, a, a diocese are, are, are erected at the... Um, Impetus and guidance of the Dichastery for bishops in the in Rome, whether it's in the United States or anywhere in, on, on in the globe. The Pope has been periodically creating new dioceses um, simply because the population of Catholics continues to grow in certain parts of the world. It's a function of geography, it's a function of population. It's a function of what I call critical mass, because if you create a diocese, you have to support the structure of the diocese, right? The curia, and it doesn't have to be big and elaborate, but you have to support them in some way, right? So yes, all of that. In the United States, we're at the cusp now of consolidation of dioceses, right? And we will see something along those lines soon, I think, with Steubenville. Yes, right. So, mm -hmm.
0: okay. Okay, let's see. Um, uh, what were your
1: summer jobs growing up and which was your favorite? Okay, I, this, uh, uh, okay, you have to answer this question. For my part, sure. it was a very simple answer. I had no summer jobs that paid. Mm-hmm. All my summer jobs were internal, like at mm-hmm. home. So okay. cleaning, painting the fence, redoing the garage door, all this stuff, power washing, all this, since I was young. Right, all that's what I did, and my father wanted me to continue to do my studies. So read books. I had to show him what I was reading. All this stuff going on, but my father did not had not allowed me. So I would love to have. I've always wanted to be a cashier. I thought that would be a riot growing up. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. No, he wouldn't allow it. So my father was uh, I was odd that way. Wouldn't allow. Okay. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, I. When I was in high school, I worked at uh, the New Canaan bookstore, which no longer exists, mm-hmm. and um, I got fired from there, which is a hilarious story for another time. You Actually, got fired? I did. My kids think it's a hilarious story. Rula thinks it's not funny, but okay. Uh, <laughs> okay. And I, I worked for Borders uh, in their coffee bar and catered for an upscale, upscale French restaurant, and so I had a, a, a bunch of different things I did. Wow. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I was, When I was in college, I thought it'd be cool to spend a summer driving a big rig truck across the country. I never
1: did it, but I thought that would be cool. Oh, I I, yeah, really? So I, I would think being a trucker is tough, tough yeah. work. You got to sleep in the thing, don't you? Yeah, I thought that would be cool. You, th- I oh, in college. you see, we are so different. God help. I pray for you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, gosh.
0: Um, all right, so let's let's uh, keep having some fun here. Here's the next question. It says, uh, um, uh, "Did you have a favorite comic strip growing up?" Mm-hmm.
1: Back yes. when there were newspapers. <laughs> yes, yes. My favorite comic strip was Peanuts. Oh yeah. Oh, I Charlie loved Brown. it. Yeah, Charlie Brown. And when I was a kid, their specials for Thanksgiving and Christmas kind of like opened the the season when they Those were entity. so good and the music was great I could still hear yes. it in my head right yeah that's right yep yeah <laughs> yeah and you did you have one I, or were they I liked,
0: gone by um, the time you were young <laughs> no no I I liked uh, Calvin and Hobbes oh, which was yeah. about a, a little boy and his uh, toy um, his pet his, his toy tiger and yeah. also the far side do you know the far side oh yes oh yes, <laughs> <Those> <laughs> yes. <awesome>. oh
1: yes <laughs> I do
0: wow okay um all right, let's see. Uh, what kind of training does one need to become a deacon? Do you ordain them? Are you their boss or do they answer to their
1: version of a bishop? Ah, now this is a great question. All right, so the diaconate is a call to holy orders, one of the orders in holy orders. And it is the sacrament of, of charitable service. So those men who are called, to, who f- have this vocation, uh, the sacramentalization, if I could call it that, of what every disciple is meant to do, right? Which is to live a life of charity and service to others. And their formation, it takes a number of years. It takes at least four years, in addition to their time of aspirancy, right? In inquiry, it is, it is deeply theological because they are also accorded the privilege to preach the Word of God and to celebrate some of the sacraments, including baptism, and they can witness weddings, among some funeral rites, etc. And they preach at Sunday Mass. So it's a very rigorous formation. They are incarnated in a diocese just like priests are. So they ordained four diocese to serve the people of that diocese in a particular assignment. So the diocesan bishop, in which case myself, I would ordain the men. And this year on the Feast of Peter and Paul, 29th of June, I'll be ordaining three men to the diaconate. right, In a, in a permanency. So there'll be deacons their whole life versus yeah. those men who are going to become priests who are, Uh, ordained deacons on a temporary transitional basis until they are ordained for the second of the orders right in holy orders now having said all that it's not something you decide it's something you discern you don't decide to be a deacon god calls you to be a deacon and you have to have a stirring in your heart and it has to be attended to and affirmed by the church that that is in fact the vocation right? So it's very, it is, it is, it is a vocation that demands tremendous amount of introspection and prayer to ensure that it is God who's calling you. Now, let me say something very controversial here. Well, not really controversial, but there's a lot of conversation about women deacons and can women be deacons in the church? And I know that continues to be studied There's some very important milestones in this conversation we have to remember. First, is that the historical evidence of women serving as quote unquote deacons rests solely upon the requirement in the ancient church that adults be baptized fully naked. And that being the case, there was a direct need to have a minister of the sacrament who could could appropriately baptize women who were adults and would enter into the waters naked. That could right. not be a man. right? So there is a historic precedent of women being, quote unquote, to serving as deacons. But in this capacity, and the only evidence we have is in this capacity. So now why do I say that? Is because sometimes people are confusing apples and oranges because the diaconate that we have now is not what I just described. It is very different. Yes. So to extrapolate one from the other is not, I don't think, is not historically and intellectually uh, correct. And the second thing we have to remember is that Holy Orders has three states, three orders within Holy Orders, the aconite, priesthood, and the episcopacy. And as we've said before in other podcasts, what divides diaconate from priesthood and episcopacy is that there isn't an imposition of character. There is no anointing of diaconate. There is an imposition of hands and the prayer of consecration, right? So that also has to be understood when you talk about deacons, is that there are three orders where priesthood and, and the episcopacy are intimately linked the deacon is ordained to serve the bishop not the pastor the assignments are given by the bishop as priests are ordained as collaborators with the bishop so is a deacon ordained as collaborator of the bishop right and not to serve the bishop personally but to serve the needs that the bishop discerns so there are there's an archbishop who will go nameless who's retired now who only assigned deacons for all the years he was archbishop to an assignment other than a parish. So all the high school chaplains, all the elementary school chaplains, all the prison chaplains, all the chaplains st- hospitals and nursing homes were all the deacons of the diocese because it's charity. It's fascinating, yeah. no? Mm-hmm. Interesting.
0: Okay, that was a good one to end on, Excellency. So uh, this is Let Me Be Frank uh, on the Veritas Catholic Network. Uh, we'll be right back with some final thoughts from, uh, from Bishop Caggiano after the break.
2: It's Matt from Restless on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network. Each week on Restless, we young adults restlessly seek the face of Christ in today's crazy and mixed-up world. Join us each Friday at noon on 1350 AM, 103.9 FM, the Veritas app, or wherever you get your shows. Hope to see you there.
0: Okay, welcome back to Let Me Be Frank with Bishop Frank Caggiano. Actually, Excellency, um, it does— I, I you know what I, I loved your reflection uh, on Advent in the beginning mm-hmm. and um um how we need to be aware, you know, based on 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 the readings from last sunday and and you said that, um you made comment that Jesus is our king, so we're waiting for our king to come. Is that a beautiful image? it, right. it is it's you know, it occurs to me that. While we're all going to die, Jesus came with the express purpose to die. Like that's why he was born. That's why Christmas is so that he could mm-hmm. die mm-hmm. for us. So when you look at that cute little baby Jesus in the manger and the sweet and peaceful nativity scene, it's almost camouflage for the fact that that sweet little baby is actually a warrior king.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And he's here to fight for
1: us. Right. right. But it's a kingship that's so different than what the world image is. Right? There's a regalness, there's a dignity, there's, there's, a, there's a profound uplifting, right? We're talking about our king who is God himself, but he walks with us he, um, and he cries with us. And he's there like Lazarus to lift us in our, our even upon the de- death. So it's a, it's a king who who is one with his people, doesn't reign over them, in a sense he does, but he walks with us. It's beautiful. Awesome. It's beautiful. Mm -hmm. Okay. So
0: keep sending your questions in uh, for Bishop Frank. You can um, send it in on social media or you can email questions at veritascatholic.com. Bishop Frank Caggiano is on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And so is Veritas Catholic Network. And thank you as always to our sponsor, Foundations in Faith. A grant from the St. Therese Fund for Evangelization makes it possible for us to bring let me be frank to you. Foundations in Faith is committed to supporting and transforming pastoral ministries in the Diocese of Bridgeport and you can learn more about their outstanding work at foundationsinfaith.org. Thank you, Excellency. Yeah, that was fun.
1: I I I love questions. This 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 format I like very much because it's like it's like popery a little bit, this a little bit, that. <laughs> yes. Yeah,
0: exactly. Exactly. Um, So I'm going to ask you uh, before we go for your
1: blessing. So why don't we pray together? In the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. May Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Great see you next week excellency excellent thank you my friend thank you ciao